This morning I want to continue on in our series of uh, be. Uh, you must be before you can do. Uh, it's our more intense study of the Sermon on the Mount, the words of Jesus. The Sermon on the Mount wasn't kind of like Jesus just trying to say something because he had a little extra time and he thought he would just throw out some things just for discussion's sake. But Jesus was trying to bring a whole new community of people who were being born again. You get born under Adam. You're a part of the mankind of humans by being born in the flesh. But you become a child of God when you're born of the Spirit. Jesus said you must be born again to enter the kingdom of heaven. And so you must be born again to enter. And so Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, he's saying, this is what it's going to look like if you're going to roll with the kingdom. Now, how many have found out that as a believer, that it's easier to read the scriptures than do them? Anybody here will vote with me. It's easier to read them than to do them. It's like reading an exercise manual. Just get up promptly at five in the morning, do, you know, a hundred squats and a hundred setups, and then go start doing, you know, the, the, the punch the bag, and then do uh, weightlifting, and then jog for five miles. It's so much easier to read than to do. But it, we can understand, when you read an exercise manual, you can understand what you'd like to do or should do or someone else did as their workout routine but plugging it in yourself is another challenge and so Jesus gives us the sermon on the mount gives us the beatitudes this is the be happy attitudes this is what the happy divinely happy people do they're they're poor in spirit they're humble they mourn over sin and unrighteousness especially their own but, and, and if you want to be happy, like God is happy, that's the kind of attitudes we have to roll in. Now we get into chapter 6, and, and we're looking at 18 verses today, and I'm going to read them uh, as a, a background, because Jesus is wanting to deal with what it looks like to have sincere faith. Now, sincere is, is a, a kind of a cool word. Uh, sincere is defined as free from pretense or deceit, proceeding from genuine feelings. God wants us to feel our faith, feel it deep inside of us so deeply that it changes our behavior, the way we walk, the way we talk, the way we think. I don't know about you, but I'm really, really entrenched in worshiping on Sunday. How many of you have spent one or more Sundays, maybe even here, worshiping? And, and so, like, you know, recently we were on a cruise. So one day we were able to delay getting off in, uh, in uh, Maui so we could watch the, the live stream. And then the next, so we missed one altogether. We had no way. So we went to service on board the ship on Sunday. Because why? Because it's Sunday and we worship God on Sunday. Now, that can be legalism if, if the, the church gathering that you're able to go to meets on Tuesday night, every day is the same, then that would become my Sunday. But it's entrenched in me at, um, without a lot of thought that, wow, 
Today's that day that I can come and honor the Lord. And, and so it's not like I'm putting on a pretense because when no one's watching, I still find a way to find believers and gather or, or get online and, and, and because I have a hunger to worship and sing the songs, take the sacraments, believe in the things that God has. It's inside of us. And so we want to be those, as Jesus is challenging us, to not be hypocrites. And that's like the antithesis of genuine faith and feeling is put out faith and feeling. Pretend faith. And so the synonyms are heartfelt Wholehearted, profound, deep from the heart. I love people who've lived a long, long time. To me, one of the most beautiful pictures I've ever seen was in worshiping in Oakland, California when Kim and I were, were, were dating. And seeing, like, like Brother Kashmir, uh, just a, a beautiful, dignified black man and his wife, and I thought that, that he was much older than I was and he had, you know, gone through, you know, segregation and all that. And, and, and here he was and he always had a suit on and his wife was dressed up and they'd come in hand in hand or hand in arm and, and, and it was, they were so dignified. And I just said within myself, I want to be like that. I want to be that my faith is so sincere that when I'm older than dirt, which is about two years from now, <laughs> I want to still be the one that walks in and leads my family, leads my people, you know, that they know, like little Wesley and, and, and the grandkids and your kids and grandkids, they need to know that <laughs> the old man is still going to be doing the God thing. You know, long after I'm no longer leading this church, I, I, I will tell you what Kim and I will be fixing to do. It's what we were doing before we ever planted this church, which is you love God because it comes out from inside of you. So we see here Jesus is going to begin to, to call out hypocrisy. And lest you think this is going to be a tirade against hypocrites and hypocrisy, it really is more how can we be genuine? And Jesus was not so concerned that everybody that he spoke to was going to be a hypocrite. He's just trying to say, you've got a real model of <laughs> stay in, inside that ditch and stay inside that ditch and go in the middle of the road. You'll be okay. And so he labels hypocrisy for what it was. And so we're going to find that the very first verse of this chapter tells us the heart of what Jesus is going to teach us. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. He didn't say don't practice righteousness. He didn't even say don't practice your righteousness where others can see you. But don't practice your righteousness in front of other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Let's proceed on. Thus, when you give to the needy, he's not saying when you give your tithes or when you pledge to a pledge drive, whether it's vision or circle youth, you know, 
you make a pledge, it's, it's recorded. We know that you did it. That's not the same as when you give to the poor. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward." But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray it to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as, as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. I keep wanting to put the word openly because I believe the old King James would say it openly. But you're, you're, you pray in secret and your Father will reward you. Uh, first point I want to make here is that Jesus is dealing with hypocrisy in the areas of public giving, public prayer, and public fasting. To define hypocrisy, it's pretending to be what one is not or pretending to believe what one does not. Secondly, it's behavior that contradicts what one claims to believe or feel. Now, we live in the wild, wild west. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take on hypocrisy as a cultural norm. Um, are there, are there, uh, is there hypocrisy in, in northern churches? Yeah, there is. But where it's epidemic in our country is, is the Bible Belt. It's where there's two questions that you ask anybody. You go to certain parts of Texas, you go to Louisiana, um, Alabama, Georgia. You ask a person two questions, and they're both deep religion questions. One is, who you fur? Who do you root for? And you better say, roll tide if you're in Bama, you know. Or at least say, you know, you're an Auburn Tiger. And the second thing they ask you is, where do you go to church? Where do you go to church? And many people uh, were raised culturally in the, in the Deep South that, that good people go to church, so you go to church, 
And, you know, you try to, you know, respect the pastor. And, uh, you know, if you feel motivated, give a little bit. But there are many people that don't even know Jesus, but they've been trained to culturally look like they're born of God. At the time that Jesus is giving this teaching, many of the people that were practicing the Jewish faith, the faith that he came to complete, to not throw away, but to complete, he didn't come to throw away the law. He showed how it could be lived out by a higher law. Many of his own people didn't know God. They were going through the motions. And so, and they were being led by those that should be teaching them how to connect with God. They were being taught how to put on a show. So we see here that um, hypocrisy is, is pretending to be something that you're not. Now, I use this to my advantage even when I talk to a backslider. <laughs> I'll find someone that I know was born again. I know they're living in sin and they're feeling really convicted. So I'll, I'll say, why are you being a hypocrite? Well, I'm not trying to act like I'm some kind of a Christian. No, no, you're trying to act like you're some kind of a sinner, but you're a phony. You're a believer going underground to act like you're not. So you're a hypocrite. You're pretending to be something you're really not. How many of you, like myself, are ruined for the world? The world sucks. We can't go back. Okay? You're not going to see me. You know, smoking a doobie up here trying to teach you. I know some of you are worried about it, but it's not going to happen. See, there's nothing left for me. No vacation in hell that I need. It's like, adios, that was a bad date. We're done. We're through. Uh, uh, you know, sayonara. And, and wouldn't that be neat if everybody that came to God's house would get really born again and just say adios to the devil instead of like, ah, ah, back and forth? And playing the hypocrite. You know, Peter was playing the hypocrite when he had denied Jesus. You were with him? No. Darn it. He's trying to find his least offensive cuss word to deny the Lord on. And when he looked at Jesus and, and, and knew he'd betrayed him, and that, that rooster crowed the second time, and he'd denied him three times, he was broken. And in the Greek, it said he went out and wept. He kept weeping. Because he knew he'd played the hypocrite. And that wasn't the first time, last time. Later on, Peter would eat, eat regular pork sandwiches with the Gentiles in Paul's presence. And all of a sudden, a bunch of Jew boys came in and he acted like he just, yeah, I kind of know those guys, kind of, you know, I'm with you. And Paul said, I oppose Peter's hypocrisy to his face. <laughs> Paul, Paul was just, true blue. He, I mean, he was willing to get beat up and stoned and shipwrecked for anything he had to say. So, I mean, how do you beat a guy like that? But Peter battled that, trying to be a people pleaser and be a hypocrite. Now, Jesus, right off the, off the bat in this chapter, makes an us and them challenge right away. Okay, let me, let me talk to you about something that, that I hear people will, will say. You know, somebody's really getting bullied and, and, and someone will tell me, well, I'm trying to stay neutral. I've hardly been neutral at anything in my life. Pick a side and start swinging, okay? Think of it. Think of, you know, a kind of an illustration. You, you're driving down the road and you see one of the, your brothers, and you're, you're a guy, and you're seeing one of the brothers from Joy being pushed around by bullies. For me, that's not the time for me to wonder if I could take a lick on my 
jaw, and in light of the bruise I might get, I drive on because now I'll be neutral. No, I'm slamming on the brakes. I'm throwing open the door, and I'm running like a crazy man, hoping that my mouth can do what my fist can't. <laughs> but I am not going to pretend to be neutral. That's my friend. That's my friend. And you might beat the both of us up, but let me tell you something. It's going to come with some damage inflicted. <laughs> A lot of times when someone will get off that neutral fence, they stop a lot of garbage. Well, you know, someone's really, you know, ranking down the church and ranking this person down. And I'm just being neutral. You're being neutral? You're being a betrayer. It's not neutral. Hello? Family member, here's their little sister moaning in the, in the back room because she's being molested every night. And someone needs to get up and beat the dog out of dad and bust mom for tolerating that child molestation. I can't stand neutrality. Half the trash in America happens because someone's a knucklehead that's going to be neutral. And Jesus can't stand it either. And in this one, I just blew it. Natalie told me not to use that kind of uh, illustration. I'm on live stream. No. I'm speaking into our culture. How many people get on their 30s and they finally talk about what they went through because somebody stayed silent? Because see, taking aside cost. And Jesus said this, he said, it's either going to be us or it's going to be them. You're going to do your righteousness in secret place and you're going to be rewarded by heaven, or you're going to be one of them happy, clappy, hope someone's watching me when I pray, hope somebody's watching when I fast. I want to tell you something. I'm here to endorse what Jesus said. This is a very deep and personal invitation that Jesus gives to you. I want, I want to hang with you. We, we, we have a daily appointment and I'll take all day long if you have it, says the Lord. And you, 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 you do your business. Whenever I need to get hired, I remember getting hired in uh, the Bay Area and unemployment was rampant in like end of 1980 and early 1981. Went to one job interview and there were 75 of us showed up for a warehouseman job in the Bay. So I, I did like most of the major things in my life. I, I said, okay, I'm not going to fight my battle here. <laughs> I'm going back where I know the power is. I go back where dad is. Go back to my room. Father, I'm here. I need you to guide me. So what happens? He tells me to go to the California Employment Agency. I go there. They say they need an outside salesman at Wicks Lumber Company in Fremont. I go out there and the guy's German-American from Montana, and he, and he fought me to make me take the job. He said, you're a lumberman. I said, no, George, I'm not a lumberman. He said, yeah, you are, you're from Oregon. <laughs> I said, I've done some framing. He said, you're a lumberman. And it dawned on me, it's like the Holy Spirit, shut up, moron. <laughs> the, one of the best bosses I ever had 
one of the best jobs I ever had because it got created in the secret place. They gave me a brand new Chevy Citation. They told me to go to California Street and downtown San Francisco and all over the Bay. And lumber, I mean, interest was like 18% for a, a building loan. And, 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 and what was funny, I would drive into these high-rise places, these multi-million dollar uh, investors and, and builders, they got their feet on They said, sit down, kid, and tell me a story. And they got donuts and coffee, and we're not buying nothing because we're not building anything right now until interest comes down. And so I had a lot of time driving all around the Bay, listening to Christian teaching and preparing and, and marrying the, the girl of my dreams. It happened in the secret place. Every great thing in my life has happened in the secret place. I want to get into your dome today and get you excited about, A, I don't want to be a hypocrite, and B, I want to get in the secret place. I want to get in the power zone where the good stuff happens. And so we see that Jesus made, made it a challenge right away. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father who's in heaven. How many of you know that, that Jesus was the most black and white of anyone? That's why I think he'd be a terrible marriage counselor. He'd immediately go for the mean one. And then they would, they would run out of their mad, and that would stop the counseling. So, so that's going to be our official marriage counseling is Jesus in the room. He will tell you which one's the naughty head and stop, whatever you're doing. Jesus is very black and white. You're either, you either playing for a field of one for the Father or you're playing for everybody else. And we have to use balance because so much of what we do ends up being with other people. You really do give to real people when you give to the needy, and you really do fast sometimes in group fast, and you really do pray in public prayers. We do it here, but it's the motive that makes the huge difference. For instance, in giving to the poor, don't play the trumpet and put on a show like the hypocrites do. I just had a funny thought that came to my mind. You remember MC Hammer with those big balloon pants? I'm too, I'm too, I'm too, too legit to quit. I'm too, boop, boop, boop. You got, you got your, your girls or whatever, you know, trotting out with the money. Here you poor saps. I'm too, I'm too, I'm too legit to quit. That's German humor. We, we, the German people think that's hilarious. But I know that for regular Gentiles, to put on a, a money show. I've got money. I've got money. And this poor sap is really needy. And as they crawl up here in shame and self-loathing, me, out of the goodness of my heart, is giving to them. You say, who in the world would do that? The scribes and Pharisees. Jesus was describing what they actually did. They blew a trumpet, and Dr. Big walked out with his cash. And God is saying, that breaks my heart. Do you know, what, you know what poor people need? They need tenderness. And I cannot tell you how many thousands of dollars over the years have been slipped to Pastor Kim and I. Someone saying, hey, I have $200, I have $300, I have $500 for this poor family. Give it to them and don't tell them where it came from. 
And, you know, and my inner Pharisee shows up. You sure you don't want to just do it direct? That way they could thank you. No. So what does it happen when someone meets a need and you don't even know who it is? You just assume everybody from Joy did it. So some of you have been loved on for something someone else did. Drink it in, because you also get blamed for things that you didn't do either. But <laughs> Give in secret to the poor, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Wow. Prayer. Hypocrites do it to be seen in public places. We're commanded to do our primary playing, praying in secret place. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. I shared last uh, service that uh, Kim and I don't pray together. We agree on prayer together, but we don't pray together. Uh, it's too easy for one person to dominate if you pray together. So she prays to the Father, and I pray to the Father, and then we discuss. And it's amazing how much unity we've walked in because Father loves her. He wants to talk to her. And, and I trust he's not going to be talking out of both sides of his mouth. He's telling Kim one thing, he's telling me another thing. No, no, it's always the same thing. Usually I just need to add about $100 onto the gift that God has told <laughs> Because I'm frugal. <laughs> Another way to say it, tight. Anyway, uh, but, uh, but what we do is then, let's say there's a need, and you call in, and, or you put on Messenger, hey, pray for this. We will stop, and we will agree in prayer together. We agree in prayer, but we don't form together our prayer. In other words, Father loves her, and, and she loved Jesus long before I entered her life. And it's the same relationship. Build on it in your secret place. Then we'll come into agreement. Same thing with the church. If everybody had their secret place walk with God and we come together, trust me, we won't have to worry about false prophecies or weird stuff. It'll flow pretty good. Okay? So your primary uh, prayer is in the secret place. The second thing that Jesus dealt with in prayer, because hypocrites were people within in the church, so to speak. They were, they were Jews that were practicing prayer in a weird way. But then he brings in the Gentiles who practiced prayers in another weird way, but it wasn't to Jehovah God, it's to whatever God they uh, prayed to. And he said that the Gentiles heap up empty phrases thinking they will be heard for their many words. They were filibustering God. Um, I get nervous when I see that someone has a need and they've contacted every prayer group in the United States. I don't think you need every prayer group. I think you need to find one person that actually believes their prayer is going to work. You know? Now, if that's where your faith is, God bless you. But I think that there comes a time, share it with a few prayer groups. And, but there's, at some point, you've got to believe God's going to actually hear you. Yeah. Okay? And, and so it's not like, you know, we, we enter into prayer like, Dear God, I'm here. I, I need to keep talking. You know, I'm not going to let you get a word in edgewise. I'm not even going to pause to listen because it's so important that you understand that I have a need. I have a, I have a need here. We sound like an auctioneer. I have a need, 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 need. 45, 35, you know. And we're, we're, we're filibustering God. God, I'm going to keep talking. You know, I'm so lonely. I'm really lonely. And, you know, okay, 
the father wants to go, you know, Holy Spirit, I'm getting a brain tumor here. <laughs> Slow down. Father, you know what I need. When I was <laughs> single and I had my prayer book and I knew that it would be invaded by somebody, so in code, I put, I was praying for S period O period Tomari. Sound like a Japanese person. And it was code for someone to marry. <laughs> S for some, O for one, Tomari. And so that was my code. Lord, you know that I'm a bad chooser and I get dumped when I do. And the Lord, he heard me, the secret place. Sent me in a humiliated fashion to the Bay Area from Portland, and I found that right one to marry. Uh, we don't have to uh, empty phrases. Um, one of the things, you know, we, we honor our brothers and sisters from the Catholic Church, but there comes a point where doing the rosary like 700 more times is not going to really effectively do much for you. You know, and I'm not, I'm not, I don't have a problem with someone praying through the rosary, but at some point you actually have to th believe that, you know, that our God hears you, that your sin is expiated, that that request is there, that running through more uh, circuits on the rosary is not going to get you, uh, it's not like cranking up a motorcycle or something, it's going to get it better. And the reason being that you don't have to do the many repetitions is because your father knows what you need before you ask him. God's not informed about everything. Half the time, he's just been waiting for us to talk to him. So how do you pray? Jesus said in this manner, pray you. One is you pray as a family member. This is a new thought. You, you come in and you say, our father. I believe in respecting God. I know he's my dad. But he's my dad, the president of the universe. And I honor him as king of the universe and my dad. He's my dad, but he's the one that gave everything to me to be saved. He gave Jesus. He's my father, but he's also the one that owns the earth and all bad behavior on the earth is going to be rewarded with judgment. But he's my father. Does that make sense? If you've ever had a father that was prominent in a position, kids that were raised that way, they understand, okay, my dad's got a number of roles. <laughs> but one of them, and the most precious, hopefully, that that father, whether it's a president of the United States or someone else, shows tenderness and love to his family. Now, um, our last two presidents, President Barack Obama and President Trump, are both family men. I think among Christians, someone should say, yay. Yeah. President Obama loved his daughters, seemed to have a really good relationship there. President Trump, it's no question. He's raised up A-level uh, kids. And, uh, and, and I think that for being a role model for the nation, that's been a good thing on both counts. And, uh, and I think we've had a number of presidents that were great dads as well as being uh, powerful men. So when we come to prayer, we come in as a family member. We address him as our father. Next thing is we come in an atmosphere of praise to his name or names and his character. We hallow the name or names of God. 
Dear Father, I thank you that you are possessor of heaven and earth. Lord, I thank you that you are to me, Jehovah Tzidkenu, you are my righteousness. Dear God, I thank you that you are Jehovah Makedesh, you're my sanctifier, Lord. I want to walk in the sanctification that righteousness has purchased. Lord, I thank you that you are Jehovah Ra'ah. You are the Lord, my shepherd. I thank you, Jehovah Rapha. You're the Lord, my healer. You, Lord, are Jehovah Shema, God who is there. You are Jehovah Shalom. Lord, I thank you for your peace that fills my life and, 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 and allows me to feel good in every situation. I thank you that you're a captain of the Lord's host, Jesus. I thank you that you are Jehovah Sabaoth, you are the Lord of armies. And I hallow your name. Today, Lord, as I pray, it's a holy thing to speak your name. I thank you that through the blood of Jesus, I can come into your presence. How many of you know we need to see prayer through the eyes of the outline that Jesus suggested. Many people say, well, what prayer outline do you recommend? Jesus is one. Learn the names of God. His names reflect his character. Thirdly, his kingdom and will come first. That's why many of us don't want a deep prayer life with God because we're self-willed. I want to just whistle when I need help. But if every day I come in and say, Lord, thy kingdom come or your kingdom come and your will be done on earth, starting with this chunk of clay first, and let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Lord, let it be like Camelot down here where we love one another. We break bread with sincerity and tenderness on earth. Lord, give us this day our daily bread. Many of us would like to just have so much money given to us that we'd never have to worry about money again. But that's not what he wants. He wants you to know you're from the wealthiest family, no matter whether you have two quarters to rub in your pocket. And he gives you daily bread. How many have found out you haven't starved yet and he's moved you around the world and every place you need to be? Thank God for Sam and Teresa getting returned from Philippines for a while. And welcome home. Forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. It's repeated twice. When God repeats something twice, he's trying to say, this is what's up. You really, really need to guard against bitterness and unforgiveness because you're actually praying that you would be restricted by how you forgive others. This is a hard one for me. I'm a fighter. And the Lord's teaching me that there's a new way to fight, and that's called fight with the fruit of the Spirit. Turn the other cheek. Love. Just because there's a fight doesn't mean you need to enter into it. And some fights you do need to enter into. And then finally, overcoming temptation and deliverance from evil. Um, if you don't have the devil involved in your prayer, you don't have Christian prayer. Because if you live righteously in Christ Jesus, you will suffer persecution. 
you will be approached. Think of it. It didn't say that a demon came to tempt Jesus. It said Satanas himself, Satan, split hoof. The devil himself came to try to negotiate with the Son of God. Higher level, bigger devil. God, use me. God, use me. Boy, the more he elevates me, the more persecution. Get used to it. Bigger level, bigger devil. And Jesus said this, you better understand that you're prone as a human to temptation. And so you pray, Lord, lead me not into temptation, but deliver me from the evil one. You were born in a fight. When you got born again, you were born in a fight. And we need the Lord's help. That's the Lord's prayer. Finally, fasting, don't look gloomy. Put on your hair prep. Get your face on. Ladies, that may involve some lipstick and some face cream. Uh, for guys, please don't do the lipstick and face cream. And let your metro. Okay. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. Wow. Recognize that this is the application. We're going to bring this in for a landing. Recognize that the depth of our faith and prayers will come from the secret place with the Father. Just last week I was just sharing, or not last week, but last service, I was sharing that when I went to um, Bible Temple years ago, in the secret place God spoke to me and told me that I was going to be one year uh, before I went to Bible college and God would lead me to where um, I was going. And so I was led to go to Bible Temple a year later. God supernaturally led me. And I was under the ministry of, of Pastor Dick Iverson, who I immediately fell in love with. I loved the order of the, of the local church. I loved a church that was just fresh with the liberty of the Holy Spirit, but yet walked in holiness. I... I, I loved the doctrine and and so i fell in love with with pastor iverson and and uh but yet it was his wife that kind of landed on me more and uh sister edie was a dynamic uh, woman of god and both pastor dick and sister edie are both gone now but at 19 years old she saw something in my life and she snagged me and put me into the children's teaching program believe it or not they started me at third grade and uh, then they found that my sweet spot was not third grade, but three-year-olds. I don't change diapers. I'm not very comforting, and I slap children. It was the wrong placement. So they moved me up to fifth grade boys, and I had a, a group of them that I had for a number of years. Um, and they just kept moving me up with this group. I think they were a trouble group. But So I got to preach there one time, and, I, and, and Pastor Iverson was in another country, and Sister Edie was on the front row, and her mom, Marie, who was old Swedish lady that immigrated from uh, northern Sweden up above the Arctic Circle in Lapland. And she had a good sense of humor, like, Schmelzer, how are you doing today? You know, in her Swedish accent. And so I greeted the church. I said, it's so good to be here at Bible Temple, and I get to be with my father in the Lord, Sister Edie. And, uh, and so the, the church cracked up. And, uh, and, and Marie, uh, Grandma, she laughed. She thought that was so funny. And, and it really was true that, that, that I really longed that my spiritual dad, the one that, that I uh, listened to every word he spoke, I did everything I could do to um, follow Christ as Brother Dick modeled, really changed us. It's 
DNA is in this church, big time. But I was in my 50s before my spiritual dad, so from year 19 years of age, so for 32, 33 years, I, I, I didn't have the affirmation of my spiritual dad, but I did of my father in heaven. And so I determined I love Pastor Dick, and if he never really catches the connection that I feel for him, and if it's never reciprocal, I'm, I'm going to just continue to honor and love. And he went through a storm, and, and God used me to prophesy, and also myself and a small group of guys. We came out like crazed apes with blue paints <laughs> ready to die for him. And all of a sudden, where he had thought I was a brash young guy, he understood finally uh, what a son looks like. A son doesn't always look like a real sissy. Sons come, my sons, they all have fought me at times. Oppose. There's something about iron sharpening iron if you're raising up a son or a daughter. And Natalie's the toughest guy of them all. So <laughs> all of a sudden, when he saw that this guy that he hadn't seen, suddenly his eyes opened up. For about 10 years, he'd be in Japan like on my birthday, and I'd get a, a, a note from him, Steve, happy birthday. We had a 35th uh, of the church, and he, he called and said, I'm coming down. Roxy and I are coming down. And all of a sudden, that, that relationship that I had hoped for happened. Maybe you're here today and you feel like I've overlooked you. As a human, I don't see all. I can trust you, trust to let you know I appreciate this congregation. But maybe there's different leaders, elders, people that you felt like you, you opened up your heart and it was not as reciprocal. But I want to tell you something. What has kept me through the thick and thin is my father's eyes in the secret place. God is begging us. <laughs> Nick, your word was good today on this same line. You don't have to, like the Michael McDonald song, you don't have to prove to me you're beautiful to strangers. I've got loving eyes of my own. You belong to me. You belong to God. So do I. Panning for the crowd is, it's a fool's errand. Every great thing has happened when I, sometimes I have to be desperate enough to like, oh God, I, there's not a phone call I can make. There's no sugar daddy. There's no cavalry riding over the ridge. It's you, Lord. 
And sometimes we see Jehovah Sabaoth, the Lord of armies, march up and rise up and he brings that deliverance. I don't know about you, I'm crazy about him and my time is up. Let's stand together. Secret place. Continue giving to the poor. Continue praying and continue fasting. Don't let the hypocrites drive you from fruitfulness. Jesus is not saying we need to quit praying, we need to quit fasting, and we need to quit giving alms. He's just saying don't do it like they do. And then study this prayer model and employ it in your daily prayer time. This is Jesus' recommended prayer sequence. It works. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Real quickly, I'd like us to bow our heads and close our eyes. One of the greatest parts of every service that we do on Sunday morning is the opportunity to welcome people into the family. I'm really happy that you're alive, which is a big Christian value. Many people are pushing for more death, to kill the unborn, to put to death the infirm, and eventually it'll be to put to death the old. But the Christians value life, and I'm so glad that you were born as a human, but I'm offering to you to be born again, to be born from heaven. Jesus said you must be born again. And how does that work? It's understanding that God has done all the heavy lifting, that Jesus was sent by the Father to live among us and to lay his life down, completely destroyed physically and in his soul. He laid his body and soul as a sacrifice that we could be born again and we could be a part of that fellowship with God. And the Bible tells us that we enter into this by faith. We call on the name of the Lord and we'll be saved. We call on the name of the Lord and he'll take away our shame. Right now, I want every one of you that are saying, man, I'm here at church because I want a new start. I, I, I don't want to try to put a patch on what I've been, but I want a brand new start. If you're here today and you say, I want to join God, get your hand up. I want to see who's here. I see, hand in, I see a couple hands in the back. I see another hand over here, hands over here. Okay, I see another hand in the back here. What we're doing is we're saying, God, hear my prayer. I want in. I want to believe and receive your forgiveness of sin. Hallelujah. Let's pray real quickly. Just pray this with me. Believe it from your heart. And Jesus will come in and he'll make you into a brand new person. I don't know about you. I'm pretty pumped now because the angels of heaven are rejoicing. There was probably five, six or more people that I saw. Come on now. Come on now. Pray this prayer with me and we'll all repeat it. Dear Father, Dear Father I, come to you, I come to you completely needing a brand new life. I don't need a makeover or a patch. But you said that if I would call on your name, you would forgive me. You would save me. You also say in the Bible, you'll make me into a new person. Old things are passed away. All things are, are, are become new. 
Yes, Lord. I call on you, Father. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for the blood of Jesus. I receive that blood as payment for my sins. You also said, Lord, if I call on you, I would not be ashamed. Take away my shame. If you'll be my God, I'll be your servant. If you'll be my father, I'll be your child. I receive you today, dear Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Hallelujah.